let's get started. Um, if you have not been with us, uh, we have been covering spiritual disciplines of a godly um, life, and we've covered everything from Bible reading to uh, prayer and confession of sin and a couple other things. Um, if you look on the back of your handout, there is like a whole list of things that we have covered. No, those are not in week order um, because I decided to take longer than I need to on certain things, uh, like Bible reading. Bible reading took four weeks. So, uh, I like reading the Bible. We should all love to read the Bible. And that was my whole point, was read the Bible, you'll know your Lord better. Um, but today, we're going to talk about fasting. Uh, if you've looked at your handout, it looks really thick. And yes, I have ten pages of fasting notes. No, we are not getting through all ten pages. No, I don't even expect to finish. Uh, but I do want to start this way. Um, what is fasting? I want to ask you guys, what is fasting? Like, no right or wrong answer. What have you experienced as fasting before? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, it depends on what you're fasting. For what purpose? Because some people fast with food. Okay, fat food. Which is basically what most people think is a... You know, it, they'll say they'll fast when they will not eat, they'll just drink water or whatever the case may be. But you could fast from uh, something that you've been doing on a regular basis that you need to take a break from. Okay. Fasting. Absolutely. Putting aside or not doing something in order to focus on God. In order to focus on God. Why do you think the world would fast? Oh, interesting. I mean, when we talk about fasting, has anybody heard about intermittent fasting? Yeah. Oh, anybody to lose weight. To lose weight, right? So they would. That's it's a way to restrict your diet so that you can only eat so much within a certain period of time. But you like so. Uh, it's a recommendation for a 36-year-old male to you know go 18 hours without eating and then eat everything you can for those six hours. Right, that you have a block of time, but what you find out is, oh, my body um, in the fast period is actually burning so much, so much of the calories that I spent that I ate that you end up losing weight just because by very virtue of your, the restriction of the time period. That's not the kind of fasting I'm talking about, right? So what? Or you actually had something? I was going to give a negative definition. There's a lot of okay. Christianity. A lot of people within Christianity that think that fasting is doing without something like that, food or whatever, in order to let God know that you're serious about uh, what you're asking for, uh, and it will persuade Him to give it to uh, so you. So like it's like for other people. For other yeah. People. Yeah. The Bible has lots to say about fasting. Don't be like the Pharisees. With their faces turned down while they fast. We're going to talk about that one for sure. Uh, fasting is fasting. I think is uh, in nowadays is either used as a lucky talisman, kind of to get God to do something for you, or it's completely misunderstood. Um, and I and I would say that that's a misunderstanding too. But it's a predominant thought. Um, Let's consider two really broad definitions of fasting, and then I'm going to get into the way the scriptures talk about fasting. Okay, uh, the first one is an inclusive de definition. No, not that kind of inclusive. Um, 
An inclusive definition of fasting is an abstinence from anything that is legitimate in, uh, in and of itself for some special spiritual purpose. So you can fast from food, um, but it could also include things that you do, like sport, watching sports, or being on the t- watching the TV, being on the telephone, whatever. Um, that is kind of an inclusive definition, more broad, what I mean. A narrower definition of fasting is a voluntary abstinence from physical nourishment, food and drink, for special spiritual purposes. Okay, so I'm going to read it again. A narrow definition of fasting is this. An abstinence, a voluntary abstinence from physical nourishment, food and drink, for special spiritual purposes. Okay, so... It's uh, one thing that we have to understand is that fasting is all over the place in the Bible and yet never commanded. Okay? So, all over the place in the Bible, but never commanded. So, there's a difference between prescription in the, the text and description. There's a lot of described instances in the Bible of fasting, right? But nothing that is prescri- prescriptive, prescribed, like, like take this Tylenol for this headache um, kind of idea. So when we're talking about fasting, notice it said voluntary abstinence. Voluntary abstinence. Okay. Um, I'm going to cover the a couple of texts in the Old Testament to kind of give you a, um, a background for where fasting comes from, and then I'm going to move into the New Testament, and we're going to talk about fasting there. So number one, Israel fasted on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement being that day where all the sins of Israel, collective Israel, were either paid for by a uh, by the Lamb, that the known sins were paid by uh, for by a Lamb, a perfect Lamb, a spotless Lamb, or they were put on a goat's head and sent outside the city, as called the scapegoat. Okay, so all the known sins were paid for, but all the unknown sins were kind of sent away and paid for that way God was going to deal with him. So, on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16.29 says this, It shall be a statute for you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, neither the, neither the native nor the stranger who sojourns among you. So, basically, they are abstaining right, from all work that would hinder them from understanding the weight of their sin. Okay, that's kind of the fast of the Day of Atonement. Um, does anybody know of another fast in the Old Testament that is really famous, or maybe just one that sticks out to you? Think about your whole Old Testament. There's one that's that's really kind of, it sticks out to me because I've just read through the book, but, so, advantage me. <laughs> anybody, anybody? Yes, David Bass all time. But he didn't do it just for his physical health, he did it for his spiritual health. What about Queen Esther? She even told the people, fast these next three days, right? So they fasted collectively as a whole people so that God would um, show her the right thing to do when she goes into the king's presence. Because to go in the king's presence, unasked for, is to bring death upon yourself, right? So you, you can't uh, 
she was asking for God's favor and the king's favor. And it wasn't like a lucky talisman, but it was a um, let's make sure that we're doing this the right way um, kind of fast. So sometimes it's individual, like Esther's fast by herself, but it's also corporate, like the rest of the people in Esther fasting. Um, sometimes uh, fasting was giving an expression of a heart attitude. Okay, so it was to express like grief or um, repentance or humility. For instance, in um, 2 Samuel 1.12, you see kind of an an expression of grief in this moment. It says, They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So Saul died, Jonathan died, and they then David's taking the throne as king, and at that time they fasted to express their grief. It's like to um, it was an expression of how much they understood the pain of what just happened. They just lost their first king, right? Um, and his son. It's also I'm I'm skipping down on your notes, so we're in four humility. Ezra eight. 21 says, when, Then I proclaimed a fast there at, a, at the river Ahava, or Hava, and that we might humble ourselves before our God and to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. So Ezra, does anybody know the story of Ezra in a nutshell? He wants to go back to Jerusalem, right, to rebuild the temple, and to, particularly the walls of of, of Jerusalem so that the temple could be built. Right? Nehemiah did. Ezra and Nehemiah, they're. Yeah, in, in an interlocking story. So uh, you see that in this we have two, two expressions, right? An expression of humility, and also, if you look at point five, it says fasting was often directed towards securing the guidance and help of God. So A number number five, um, it was about securing the guidance and help of God. So both that text kind of demonstrates the humility of the people needing God to show them the way to act, right? And to to guide them to safety. So that's that's an overview, a very quick overview of fasting in the Old Testament. Uh, But if we're going to really understand fasting, we have to go to the New Testament because guess what? That's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus talks. That's where Jesus is explained. And so, and we are uh, Christians after Christ. You know, uh, there's no, no two ways about it. We have to have it in the New Testament for it to make sense to us today. So fasting in the New Testament, point number one. Even in the New Testament, we still see the Jewish religious practice, which involved fasting continued. You still have the Day of Atonement, okay? Still happening. In fact, Jesus goes to the temple on the Day of Atonement. So we can say that Jesus still undertook a fast for himself. The Pharisees fasted every Monday and Thursday because Luke 18, 11, 11, 12 says this, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like men, extortioners and just adulterers or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And that Monday and Thursday is coming from tradition. We don't, we don't see that in the text. But the Monday and Thursday is where the Pharisees would come out 
they would stand on street corners and they would condemn everybody else who wasn't in a fast, basically, by fasting out in front of them and saying, oh Lord, thank God I'm not like all those other people. But you have accepted my praise and my fast, my petition. Um, Anna the prophetess, Luke 2, 36-37, had been in a fast so up until the day that she was told that King Jesus, the baby Jesus, had come, right? And Anna uh, was waiting for that day. Um, it, it says this in Luke 2, 36-34, it says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then, as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart the temple to depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer day, night and day. So fasting is in the New Testament. Again, that's, those are described, not prescribed, right? Described, not prescribed. And, and this principle will help you understand just this idea of description and prescription, the difference between what is commanded and what was done. Okay, so we need to know what does the Lord command me to do but not necessarily do everything that was done. So if it's a described instance, you can glean some principles or some understanding of heart posture and all this uh, good stuff, but it's not necessarily commanding you to go and fast um, in our case, right? It's not necessarily saying, you know, you go do likewise, because that's not the point. Jesus fasted, point number two. Um, and this is like the most famous fast for Jesus. He fasted 40 days in the wilderness before he started his ministry. Um, what happened in the, at, the end of that, at the end of that fast? The temptation of, of Christ, right? And so we have the three temptations. Does anybody want to be brave and remember? Ah, make these stones turn to bread. If you were the son of God, you can make these stones turn to bread. Why would, why would Satan tempt him with that? Because he's hungry, right? He's, he's, he's physically weak, and, and he, has, he needs sustenance, physical sustenance for his body. By the way, that's a proof positive that Jesus was not only God, but he was also truly man. So he all had physical needs. Uh, that's a good thing. You want... A fully God and fully man Jesus. If you don't have a fully God and fully man Jesus, you can't be saved. Um, it's impossible. But um, that's a, a driving point. There's another, I believe, reason for each of the temptations. Oh, yes. And that is that Jesus, the greater Israel, yep. was succeeding where, where Israel, Israel failed. Because in the wilderness, God said he allowed you to suffer hunger in the wilderness so that you might learn that man does not live by bread alone. alone. That's what Jesus was quoting. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just saying, throw this verse and Satan will run away. Yeah. He was saying, I'm obeying where Israel is. Yeah, the commandments that Israel could not keep. Yeah, he, it's a demonstration of God's, uh, Jesus' faithfulness to God's commands where Israel could not keep them. And so that's kind of beside the point. But at the same time, Jesus fasted. And we want to see that he fasted. He also assumed, point number three, that his disciples did and would fast. 
Um, he said this in Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, notice, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. He's talking about the Pharisees. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward to be seen by others. But when you fast, again, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Oh, notice he assumes that his disciples will fast eventually. Right? But what, the, what does anybody know off the top of their head? Uh, when John's disciples come to Jesus and say, why aren't your, your disciples fasting? Because they, uh, when the bridegroom is with them, they don't need to... Why fast in celebration? Fast when the bridegroom is gone. Yeah. Fasting is a, a uh, particular type of act when it is about separation. You've been separated for something. Why would the disciples who are not separated from the Lord of glory, fast at that time. That was, our, that was his argument. Um, and we need to pay attention because that we're, not necess- we're waiting for Jesus' second coming, right? And so fasting may be in a, a way for us to realize that more in our lives, right? But it's not a commanded way for us to realize that Jesus is coming again and so therefore I need to be more in tune with his will and his ways. Okay, do you understand the difference, what I'm saying? It's a suggestion of voluntary abstinence from food so that you might follow in a purpose toward godliness, okay? In Acts, it also says that leaders of the church fast when they were choosing their missionaries and elders. So again, guidance, Right? making sure they're making the right decisions. Acts 13 and Acts 14 kind of outline that whole process, particularly when they're picking Paul and Barnabas to go out on their first missionary journey from Antioch. Okay? Um, Number five, I'm going very fast, and I realize that. So bear with me. We're going to have more discussion in a few minutes. Paul also twice refers to his fastings in 2 Corinthians 6 and 11. And so... I am going to completely skip point two um, in your notes. I do want you to notice, though, while we go, is that there, there are differences in degree of fasting. Okay? And there are also differences in individual versus corporate, the number of participants in a fast. Okay? The, the degrees being there's a normal fast, which means a full fast, a part, and then also a partial fast. Like, I'm fasting caffeine. I am not fasting caffeine. Um, <laughs> Uh, fasting caffeine so that I can remove my dependence on caffeine, right? Uh, not just my dependence on caffeine, but to move my dependence on the Lord. Notice, one is just man-centered and the other one is God-centered. Um, but also, number of participants, private, small groups, congregational, those can be all um, legitimate. Uh, lengths of fast, they can be hours, days, weeks, Months, depending on uh, your understanding. Frequency of fast. Some people do this regularly, right? To um, draw closer to the Lord or to bring themselves to an understanding of what God's Word is saying uh, in a way that would make them meditate on that thing, right? For a little bit longer. 
So here's where it all meets the... Uh, before we get to point number three, big heading, um, let me ask you this. Do you have any questions or comments on fasting in the Bible? Or even like what it's about? Why would we do it? Don't fast from your Bible. Can you tell me what the one time in Scripture where Paul does, Paul prescribes a fast for husbands and wives, right? Um, Amen. We're, we're going to get that in First Corinthians seven. So, um, but even that is not a fast from the Word, nor from prayer. It is actually a direction, directional toward those things. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I've been trying to formulate the question. So we're not commanded specifically to fast, but like we do see, like the leaders in Acts, they fasted before the end. Uh, in a lot of the fasting that we, I guess here's my question. A lot of the fasting that we see in the New Testament is that primarily done because there's still Jews under the temporary relations and laws, and since we're not. Well, so Antioch—if you think about Antioch, does anybody know where Antioch is or was? Is in Turkey, right? And so you you have um, non-Jewish people taking this fast. I think I think it's more about the—they want to be. We're going to talk about this a little bit further. They're they're trying to really discern the will of the Lord and not be distracted by something like a yummy cheeseburger. Right, um, and then that cheeseburger has other consequences. I know it's Antioch, and they don't have cheeseburgers at the time, but you understand what I'm saying. They're trying to remove a barrier for them to might be able to understand what the Lord's will is. So, concentration and fasting, or concentration and meditation, are kind of the results of fasting. That's also the goal in fasting. You don't want to fast just because. You fast for a purpose. Um, if you're going to fast. So, point number three, the big question. Should Christians fast? Right? Should Christians fast? If someone would open up to 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, and read verses 1 to 5, that would be excellent. If you decide to do so, read it so everybody can hear it, and at least, or at least follow along. Yes, 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. So if you think about uh, think about why we what our definition for fasting was, our definition was this: voluntary abstinence from physical nourishment, food or drink, for special spiritual purposes. Okay. So the whole point of reading First Timothy four one to five is to point out that food is good, and God has given it to you as a gift, right? And that you should not forsake food because food is evil in and of itself. All right. Uh, if you think about the the conversation that, that Paul has with, like, forgive me, but uh, 
I can't remember right off the top of my head what church this is, but he talks about, should I um, eat meat that has been offered to idols? Right? What? Corinth. So there you go. I'm yeah, blanking on all my Bible trivia right now. But he talks about how he talks about how it's not the meat that is bad, right? It's yeah, it's the it's a don't want to be a stumbling block to your brother um, and cause others to fail or falter. It's not the actual thing, right? Uh, it's not the actual meat. It's still decent to eat, but yeah. So Christian fasting. To be clear, is not asceticism. Does anybody know what I mean by asceticism? Somebody give me a definition. It's a regular practice of denying yourself. That is very true. Who practices asceticism? I think is the best way to. Monks, monks, right? The monks in the Catholic the Catholic Church also the Roman Catholic Church has um, ascetic. Type practices. The, the uh, commanded punishment by removing something from yourself. Okay, commanded punishment is kind of different. We're not ascetic. We're not. We do not practice asceticism. Colossians that would also, two. That would also go beyond taking things away. Oh yeah, it also be flogging. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched. I don't remember who it was that used to jump into thorn bushes. Oh gosh. And things like that. It was like, good for you. The Jesuits were, they also whipped themselves, but there's um, particular monastic orders that would would do, not just the Jesuits, but um, other monastic orders would, would flog themselves when they sinned, or when they had a thought of sin, or anything else. Like, if it wasn't the Psalms, uh, it wasn't a godly work, they would flog themselves. So you imagine... Um, they would flog themselves... Based on other people's sins. Yes, they would take it upon themselves as the priest to stand as a mediator for those people. There's a whole bunch of problems with all this, but mostly the book of Hebrews. Um, in Colossians 2, 20 through 23, Paul warns against this kind of severe lifestyle. He says it dishonors Christ by rejecting the sufficiency of his perfect person and work. Right? So doing those things, being an ascetic is, like asceticism, practicing asceticism, is dishonoring to Christ because he has paid for those sins, right? And that he is sufficient in and of himself to deal with those sins. Colossians 2, 20-23 says this, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle do not taste, do not touch, referring to these things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, and they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value. Notice Paul is being very direct. Stop it. Right? He just tells Colossians, stop it. Don't do these things. They has no value. So um, we have discussed now that uh, back up when we were talking about the New Testament and where we see fasting in the New Testament, we particularly saw that Jesus makes the point to say, and when you fast in Matthew 6. If you open up the Matthew 6, 
verse 16, and you will see it in both verse 16 and 17. And when you fast, but when you fast. So while it's not commanded, it is assumed that we would fast. Right? It was, it's assumed that we as disciples would fast. But let's look at the passage just a little closer. Christ gives us a negative command, a positive command, and a promise within these three verses. Okay? Three verses are this. I'm just going to read them out loud again. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The negative command is this. Do not look somber like you're suffering. Right? Positive command. No one should be able to tell that you're fasting in the first place. Because it's between you and God. The observer of your fast is God himself. And the promise is this. Your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, a lot of people think, of, think that this can mean it's like use it as a, a rub the genie lamp and get my fast on. If I fast really hard, God's going to see me. He's going to give me what I'm asking for. Lord, I need, I need a new call. Right. Where are your needs supposed to be directed toward? God. Right? So maybe it's a new car, but that sounds pretty selfish to me. What is the Lord asking you to come after? Um, the rewards that you are seeking will be given according to his word. Right? They will not be given in any other way. So noticing, noticing those things, let's move down to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 14 through 17. These are kind of the big, the big two, really. Matthew 6 and Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 14 to 17 says this. And then disciples from, of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth in, on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and, the worse, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, but if it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled out, and the skins are destroyed. The new wine, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So the whole point of this passage Right is about Jesus, the bridegroom, being with his disciples, there's no need to fast. So there will be one day when he comes back that we will no longer need in any way to be without fasting. Particularly will not be something that we practice when Jesus returns. There's no need. We're with the bridegroom. But now he assumes that we would fast. Now, don't hear me commanding you to fast. That's not what I mean. I'm not trying to command you to do anything. In this case, particularly that the fast is um, a voluntary abstinence. That's the whole point. So who is the bridegroom? Christ. Who is the bride? His church, the disciples. 
You and I, if you believe in his name. Jesus means that when he returns to his Father in heaven, his death, after his death and resurrection, during that time, his disciples will fast. Right? Um, any questions or comments? I think it's interesting that uh, the person in attendance of the bride and cannot mourn. Like, mourning, to me, while well, he's, he's correlating mourning and fasting, mourning to me is like something that's involuntary. Mm. It's something that happens, I mean, to you slash you are doing it. Um, so it almost, it almost makes me feel like fasting, when we look at it in the wrong ways, is even more wrong because of the way that Jesus described it. It is something that you are, you're, you're fasting or you're mourning because you are without something. It should be a weighty thing. It's not something that should be kind of flipping. Right. Um, I and never noticed that. I've never noticed that he says that they mourn. And it's important to see that there is that, that abs, like the absence of something is what's causing the mourning, right? We've lost. Not the choosing to be without. Yes. It is the fact that you are without. And so, does anybody else have any questions about fasting? Fasting is a very broad topic, so I'm, I understand. This is like a fire hose. I would, I would argue that fasting is an exercise for spiritual discipline. And when you look at something like food, which is the most basic instinct that we have, yep. fasting from food, especially for any length of time, requires you to put it out of your mind, where if you dwell on it, you, you will not be able to fast. And so if we kind of equate that to sin, um, we, it, sin, if it enters your mind and you allow it to dwell there, yeah. it's going to happen, right? So right. I think the, and, and that, that would also be why we would fast from, like let's say, video games or other um, addictions that we might have and, and not even be aware of, but you, you fast and put those things out of your mind for the exercise of spiritual discipline. Absolutely. Purpose is growth and godliness, right? That's why we would do fasting at all, is to grow in godliness, not to earn the favor of our Lord by any means. But, uh, yeah, you're 100% right. But in some respects, some churches today, or even in the past, in pop yardings, they actually have, okay, you need to fast during whatever. And one perfect illustration is Easter, a lot of churches suggest that you fast from something. Yeah, we'll get on my. I will get on my, my soapbox. I, I will get on my soapbox for Lent because I have a lot of Anglican friends and Roman Catholic friends who see this exactly the opposite of me. Um, but I'm not going to go there because we got ten minutes left. And <laughs> well, Mike, I think it's a pretty important question. Why do they see it as something that is required? Why do so many churches and congregations see this as a commandment rather than? So the difference between, uh, just just to kind of answer your question, the difference between a Roman Catholic and an Anglican, for instance, here, is that the Anglican is still, it's still voluntary, right? Lent is voluntary, suggested, highly suggested. In fact, pressed like almost like it's a command. But in the Roman Catholic sense, it's like a, an actual right um, and a requirement. So, you, so that's the sinful aspect of it. It's not a, one of the seven sacraments, but it is about uh, denying yourself. And, I mean, Jesus is about to deny himself on the cross. That's the whole point, right? Um, 
know, Lent to Easter is about leading up to understanding what Easter is doing. I still don't believe in Lent, so there's there's that. But the Methodists and the few others, they still do it. They're similar to the angling. Kind of thing. Yeah, they put on the cross, the ashes right. on their foreheads, right. and they walk around. So here we are. Reasons to fast. I just want to run through them, and I want you to kind of hear why we would fast. Why would a why would a Christian fast? Number one, to strengthen prayer, right? To focus our hearts on what God is saying in His Word, right? Because if you think about a fast, a fast you kind of brought up the the, the kind of like the mindset of a fast. Um, when you're reminded of your hunger, it's supposed to drive you to do something, right? There's a purpose there, and so in this case, it's supposed to drive you to prayer, right? Uh, not for you to think about I'm hungry but to drive you to pray, and uh, that would be one purpose. Another one is to seek God's guidance. We've seen this all over the scriptures. Um, Judges 20, 20, 20, 26 through 27 also has another good explanation. Notice, notice though, it is a description, not a prescription. Fasting does not ensure clear guidance. That's what I'm saying when I say that. Fasting does not ensure anything, right? But it does focus our hearts. Number three, or C, letter C, fast to seek deliverance or protection. Um, these are, this can be, this can be from your family, from your school, from your neighbors, from other Christians. Uh, again, if you're fasting for protection, the idea is if you are hungry, then that should drive you to your knees and focus your heart on the Lord, Lord himself. So uh, let me give you an example. Psalm 27, verse 4. Um, if you open up Psalm 27. I'm sorry, Psalm 27, verse 10. Verse 4 is also good, but um, verse 10 says this. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Right? The Lord will never forsake me. It doesn't matter even if my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me in. And so, think about this. If you're asking for deliverance or protection, what better thing to dwell on? The Lord is your protector. He is your refuge and strength, your ever-present help in trouble, right? You could go somewhere else, but if you're feeling abandoned or, or moved or um, pushed away from the body or pushed away from your friends or pushed away from your family, it doesn't matter remember that the Lord will take you in. Psalm 2710 is a huge part of my life, um, mostly because I, that, that's just my heart has put those words, like God has put those words and implanted them there so firmly that the moment that I feel like I am without or, or abandoned by whom I would consider someone close to me, that is my first instinct. The Lord will take me in. Um, and that is a huge comfort. So we also fast to seek deliverance or protection. We also fast to express grief, right? We already seen this. Second um, Samuel, when Saul died and Jonathan died, the whole of Israel fasted, right, um, for the um, because of the sorrow that they had. Letter E: Fast to express repentance and return to trust in the Lord, right? Um, F. Humble yourself before God. G, fast to express concern for the work of God. H, notice there's an H, I, J, 
Yeah, HIJ. Um, there's a lot of reasons why you could fast and why it might even be helpful to fast. Um, but I, I want to I bring one to you right now as we close. Um, and with this, with this statement, fasting tests where our heart is. Right? Um, you said so well that when, if I focus on the food, and I, I'm just going to be hungry, and the fast is going to fail. If I focus on my sin, I'm just going to want to sin more, and so therefore I'm going to fail. Right? But fasting tests where our heart is. It helps us focus on God and feast on Him and His Word more fully. It communicates that our hearts are with God and not with this world. Right? We don't want to you know, put our treasure where moth and rust and will destroy. We want to put it in our in heaven where our heavenly father is. Right? And so let me let me bring to you one particular instance that I, I would commend to you as a great reason to fast. Um, if you have a besetting sin, you have a sin that you just cannot seem to be let go from, you know, in a sense, or or to or to stop doing. Uh, whether it's pride or it's um, lust of some sort, or it's uh, what it doesn't matter what it is. If you have a besetting sin, fasting is a great way, a great way to have the opportunity to meditate on God's word about that. Not only the heinousness of that sin, but the grace and mercy that God provides for you, so that you might be restored to Him. Fasting, in fact, and that that's where my where fasting has come in most often in my life. If I am having a moment or a time period where I'm just I am struggling with a particular sin, and usually it's internal, you would not even notice. Um, I hope if you notice, please come to me and tell me my sin. I, I really do want to be corrected. Um, but the it's internal, and I notice that, and somebody brings it to my attention, and I realize that I've been struggling with this for a long time. Guess where I'm going? Going without food. I'm restricting most of my intake so that my eyes might be put squarely on who God is. And you might be able to get rid of that sin, to move that sin out of my life so that I might realize how great my God is and how worthless this sin is. And how, uh, I, can just, I can honestly say that that has been a most liberating practice of fasting um, that I've ever had. So use it as a tool towards godliness. Don't use it as a, um, I now have to fast because, you know, I have to fast is never the answer. Fasting is a method, is a, an option, it's a means to be more godly. It is not the end of godliness. Just because you fast doesn't mean you're godly. I know a lot of people that are fasting right now, they, they're not godly people. Um, they, in fact, would deny the Lord in everything that he says. So, um, are there any questions about fasting? We have one minute, and then I am going to pray. Any questions about fasting? I don't. I don't. It can be anything. I want to remind you that it's a voluntary abstinence. Okay. So if anybody says that you have to fast for this to be corrected, the Bible does not say so. Okay. If you ever hear me say that, uh, correct me very quickly and say. The Bible does not say so, Corey. And I will, I will more than likely go, excuse me? You're right. Uh, 
So, uh, if you ever hear that from me, please correct me. What's up, Bob? I was just thinking of the recent news in Kenya where a pastor of a church there encouraged or required his people to fast to the point of death, and there were about 200. So, the abuse of it today is even yeah. still with us. No, notice it is uh, not a command, right? And, and anybody who commands you to do something outside of Scripture, Here's the, here's the moral of the story. If the Bible does not command you to do so, guess what? It is not sin uh, to not do that thing. Um, it, and the pastor, for particularly, if a pastor is saying that this is what God says and it is not in the Word, then feel liberated right now. I'm going to give you the permission. Feel liberated right now to not listen. And so I hope that through uh, our practices of expository preaching, expositional preaching, through reading the word, through prayer, through uh, the singing of the songs that we sing, communion, all these things that you see that the word is the most primary because it is what is God has given us as a clear direction and indication of who he is. Okay? Um, it's never thus saith Corey, and if it is, then you need to get up and walk out. Right? So, okay. Oh, yeah, my brother, Jared will literally walk out, and I will go, what did I say? And Which is exactly what's supposed to happen. With that, let's pray. Um, I hope that you gleaned something about fasting this week, and um, next week, somebody remind me, what are we talking about? What's the back? Evangelism. Oh, yes. Evangelism. Um, next week, we'll talk about evangelism. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, you have been so good to us to give us a word that is so clear and can be understood. Lord, I pray that we would devote ourselves to you, to your words, to your spirit, to your son. Lord, as we go through these next hour, hour and a half, whatever it might be, Lord, that we might be able to focus our hearts on who you are, why you've done what you've done, and what we are to do now. Lord, we, we pray that um, if we do not fast, uh, Lord, that we might use it to become and grow in godliness for whatever purposes that are um, good, right, good and right. Lord, we love you and thank you that you have been so good to us to give us this time to be able to be together, to understand and have a, a time of teaching and thinking so we might understand your word more clearly. And now, Lord, be with us, enliven our spirits, bring us closer to you in these next couple hours. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.